0: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Welcome, friends, to the Mass Effect Lorecast. I am your host, Tom Robots, and uh, I'm here as usual with N7 Legend, or Sam And I genuinely mean it. Welcome, friends. It is so fun to interact with you guys on the Discord and on Twitter and wherever else. You guys are amazing. And that's that's why we do these shows. So um, yeah, absolutely. You guys, you guys are our friends now. That's just what we're going to call you. Um, Or Spectre. Spectre still works. But welcome to the show, everybody. Glad to have you guys here. And N7 or Sam, how are you doing, buddy? How are things?
1: i'm doing fantastic i'm slowly getting more settled in here in portland i think uh, we got a great episode about the uh, bowling ball type figures coming up here soon uh i actually wrote a nicely alliterated uh description yeah i said we're okay so according to the show notes that i wrote uh (laughs) we're talking about the rotund breathy bowling ball masterful masterful merchants and bountiful banker blob race oh my god oh
0: my god yeah and they look like danny devito and you sent me a picture of danny devito if he was a volus and oh that's what how did that's the wrong there we go here it is on screen so if you are on the audio version of the podcast just imagine Danny DeVito as a Volus. That's the Volus and Danny DeVito, and then we have. Oh crap! Hold on, I gotta get. I gotta we got get Danny it. Danny DeVolus, and then we got Danny DeVolus uh, coming up just here, right, and it's up now. There's Danny DeVolus. Look at that guy. There he is, brilliant. So uh, in yeah, all that, his glory. And all of his glory. That was our joke from last time. So, um, yeah, you should share that on the uh, the Discord so everyone can see it. I don't think you've shared it in there yet.
1: So you know, funny enough, someone else actually sent that photo on the Discord when I said that we were covering the Volus tonight, and oh. they were like, "Oh, look at this fan art! Look at this fan art of the Volus." And I, I was like, "Well, it's interesting. You should pick that one." <laughs> oh yeah, it is right there. You're right. You're right.
0: Yep. Uh, I've been I've been so busy with E3. I can't wait to talk E3 stuff with you tomorrow during. So for those of you who don't know, we started a new podcast on Monday nights at 10:30, same channel, live at Twitch.tv/slash Robots Radio. Where you can get all of all of these podcasts live if you want to watch and, and join us in chat and we'd love to see your thoughts and things in chat live but we will be talking about all the fun stuff being announced for xbox game pass tomorrow night on that channel it's going to be awesome but for right now we have some bowling ball people to talk about and they're super weird and they're very unique. And I think you guys are going to like this episode. Um, also, just wanted to preface this because we've gotten some, I think there might be some confusion because we don't message this in every episode. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You will soon find out that Sam here and seven legend is the expert on the topics. He's the guy who does the extra research, has played through these games like a hundred times. And is bringing us the knowledge. I'm the guy who is, uh, I stand in for the casual gamer. I'm the casual guy that everyone's like, Oh, casuals. That's me. So I'm going to be bringing up questions that maybe some of you would be bringing up if you're more casual, like I am when it comes to these games, because I've played through them, but not the same way that he has. And, I also bring the perspective of the scientific slash historical slash philosophical side of things, because that's kind of my background. So a lot of, and you'll, you'll see this in some of the reviews later, if you're new, some, some of our listeners really do appreciate that perspective and helps ground some of the concepts, but some of our listeners, not so much. So that's just to give you some expectations here. So Sam, let's kick this off. Let's talk about the volus.
1: Sure. Um, so, in what's becoming a tradition for these uh, race episodes, I think that we should start off each episode with you know what is this? If if this race had one mantra, what is it? And if the Solarians embody knowledge as power, right? Mm-hmm. Then the Volus are are the embodiment of the phrase "money makes the galaxy go round," uh, because that is kind of what they're all about. We will get into that. Uh, We will get into how that shaped their cultural and societal development. Uh, But first, I want to discuss the physiological features uh, and some of the biological features of the volus that kind of set them apart. Yeah,
0: let's talk about these bowling balls.
1: (laughs) So these bowling balls... (laughs) In a a tragic twist, they all are infected with this disease in childhood, every single one. Um, Although it's not deadly, not to most, maybe to some volus with compromised immune systems, but it's called Yolk Tan. And it's similar to human chicken pox, I suppose. Uh, But when I did a little bit of digging, I found that the symptoms of Yolk Tan are a rash of dark blue sores, a swollen tongue, high fever, chills, and in some severe case, cases, persistent nausea. Uh, the treatment for it is, <laughs> and you, you got to love this, quote, soothing baths and a mother's love. Yeah, this sounds um, very much like so chicken pox, yeah. <laughs> it does, so all the volus start off with chickenpox, uh, I guess, and um, they, they, they pretty much survive it, all of them, uh, and it's considered a, a, a type of rite of passage, if you will um yeah that makes sense also all, that makes sense they're also all bipedal um <laughs> even though they look like bowling balls and they look like they might be able to roll places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all bipedal and we've uh, you know, if you're new and this is your first episode um, then you probably haven't heard us say yet that there's a couple of competing theories in the mass effect universe uh, as to why uh, bipedal races have proliferated uh, across the galaxy. And the long and short of it is that the bipedal races are uh, A lot of people think maybe the Protheans, because they were bipedal, tried to uplift all of these races, you know, because they were also bipedal and they saw themselves in in those races. The other competing theory, uh, and more generally accepted by scholars of the universe, is that there's some evolutionary advantage to bipedalism, Um, and so that's due to its or that's you know what you can think to its proliferation um, right and we discussed this uh,
0: we, pretty in depth on previous episodes so if you haven't listened to previous episodes uh, like the last the one last week with the, about, the, about the turians we discussed it and we also discussed it on a, another one of the episodes so you can go back and hear more about that on one of the other ones
1: right on the solarian one i think is the one we discussed it in the most mm-hmm. depth mm-hmm. um but uh Basically, the uh, to give a, a, an image to viewer to listeners rather, the volus are incredibly short. On average, they're only about three feet tall. And I say short, you know, comparatively because I'm a human being. Um, <laughs> right. That's short to me. Right. It's not short to volus um, or to hobbits. But it is short. Yeah, they're basically they're like space hobbits. Space hobbits. <laughs> space standing to be the hobbits. more I think about that, the more the, the more I think about it, the more it totally fits. (laughs) Um, but but, you know, they're not exactly imposing, right? They're not physically anyway. Um, they're short, they're rotund, they're bipedal and they're not incredibly fast or threatening. Mm -hmm. So even their voices uh, and they're not,
0: even their voices are like, Oh yeah, it's like, hello. You know, like they've got this like quality of like, yeah, Nobody's going to mess with you or everyone's going to mess with you. One or the other. <laughs> Poor
1: they, little guys. The voices do sound a lot like people, the stereotypical person who was picked on in high school. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I was picked on too. So maybe that's saying something about me. I have been likened to a volus. You know, <laughs> what? So, no. Knows? Uh, <laughs> oh, but I, you know, I was just referencing a, a yeah. very kind review that we one had. Of, one of our good um, reviews. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, But anyway, the the volus, they're just not threatening really in any any sense of the word. And they're not incredibly strong either physically. Um, So we'll touch on some of the social ramifications of that later. But for all intents and purposes, they look a bit humanoid. It's just that that's humanoid only in that they have the same number of appendages. They don't really have a neck. Um, their head just kind of is a blob on top of the bigger blob. Yeah, think of like a snowman. Like Danny. I think DeVito. that's a good, a good. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> Danny DeVito, we're going to get a season and desist from him. <laughs> I mean, all publicity um, is good publicity. Go, so, you know, <laughs> he is the trash man. And so I think he might be, he might like it. Like if he appeared in a mass effect movie, he would have to be a volus. That would be awesome. Uh, Imagine he's the used ship salesman Volus. Oh my God. That'd be perfect. That would be perfect. (laughs) Well, by where you know what to do. Um, But before we go any further in describing the Volus and how they look, we need to address the elephant in the room, which is the suits. They all wear Enviro suits and part of this goes back to their own home world actually all of it goes back to it uh their home rule ho- home world rather uh Arun is known for its high gravity it has a gravitational field 1.5 times stronger than that of earth and it's a highly pressurized world with an ammonia based ecology so what does that mean this means that their suits are necessary virtually everywhere they go because most worlds have a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere, excuse me, most worlds that have fostered intelligent life in Mass Effect have a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere, and they cater to carbon-based life. So that means almost every environment in, uh, in, in the Mass Effect universe that's meant for these intelligent races caters to that. And it also means that the air that almost every other sentient species breathes is poisonous to the volus. So that's why they sound like they're breathing through a tube, um, and they have these long inhales that pause their dialogue. Right. I think we got a clip. Let's see if I can get my sound to work. Correct. I'm gonna. I'm
0: try playing it right here, and we'll. Sure. Yeah, I think it's working for.
1: I am a biotic god. I think things, and they happen. Fear me, lesser creatures, for I, a biotic's made flesh. I don't know what drugs you're on, but stay back and I won't shoot you. You will regret your scandalous words. I am a great wind that will sweep all before me like a... A great wind. A great biotic wind.
0: (laughs) Do you want me to play the whole thing? Uh oh you're muted again
1: you don't have to okay okay you don't have to after
0: every sentence there's a
1: yeah so you get it yeah um you get it Um, so some things here
0: really quick just kind of toss in because we talked about in the beginning that i I throw in some of the uh you know science and history and stuff um this concept of them growing up on a high gravity planet uh with 1.5 times stronger gravity makes a lot of sense for why they're shorter because the gravity is pulling on them more. Um, This is this is something we see in natural environments where the environment you uh, the creature evolves in the creature matches that environment. So, for example, there's a reason why insects during the like Paleolithic times were so much bigger. And it's because there was more oxygen in the air, which was which enabled them to reach larger sizes. Um, Same thing happens in uh, when there's less competition in a space. So for example, uh, pygmyism and, and smaller animals existing on islands is very much a thing. Like pygmy elephants evolved on an island. And so who knows how long ago it was, but at some point elephants branched off and a group of them ended up on an island and a group of them ended up on the main continents. And the ones on the island get smaller over time because there's less competition on the island so they don't need to be as big in order to beat out the competition if being big is something that is is an evolutionary advantage um so for example uh in human evolution there are the the hobbit people the um oh what were they called the i don't remember the official name of them the um Florensis, uh, something Floriensis, uh that were discovered but they were they were like hobbit-sized people like three three feet tall and it's because they were on an island And probably had been separated from the rest of the human population so long that being smaller was an advantage because they needed less less food instead of being bigger to fight off the competition. So interesting stuff that that's why these guys are smaller. Um, Also, the concept of them being ammonia based is very interesting. You know, this idea that like the universe has because ammonia based entities are less common, they have to acclimate for the more common entities. You know, species, whereas if it was the flip side, then it was it would be the humans and the Turians and, you know, everybody else that was compensating by having to wear suits all the time. And it's interesting interesting.
1: that you bring that up. Um, Yeah, it is interesting you bring that up because there's a tribal advisory for Iron. Uh, So for every other race that's going to visit irun they have to wear an enviro suit so now the tables have turned right so now if you're on irun now you're the one that's going to be breathing weird uh, because you're in a highly pressurized ammonia based environment um but yeah like you said uh the high gravity that's that is to uh that does result in them probably being smaller and having a lower center of gravity um the comparatively low gravity and pressure uh, in on the Citadel on Earth on Palavin, on any other world really um, basically any other world not the Elcor homeworld but we'll get to that would if if the if the Volus were there with no suit to help them if if you saw a Volus and you took the Volus out of a suit on the Citadel and there wasn't some artificial means of replicating the Arun Arun homeworld on the Citadel then he would literally explode because. <laughs> His flesh has evolved. <laughs> his, his flesh has evolved in this um in this way that it's used to a whole lot of pressure coming uh-huh. in and, and literally keeping him in, keeping his organs all together. So if you were to remove it, it's very sadistic and funny at the same time. Maybe that says a lot about me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were to do this, he would explode. I wonder
0: if that would happen um, to like really deep sea fish because of the volume of pressure from the ocean. If you were to bring them to the it's surface, interesting you bring that incredibly fast.
1: Because the blobfish, if I can remember right, doesn't look like that when it's underneath the waves, you right. know, when it's in the ocean at the depth that it's supposed to be at. It doesn't look like a ball of snot.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's only when we bring it <laughs> out of the ocean, out of its natural it environment. Up. Yeah, that it looks weird. The other thing that's interesting about this is that if you watch and I've mentioned um, the, the series before, uh, The Expanse the people who are even just two or three generations removed from being earthers or mars martians um, the people who live out in the belt and in space are often taller because of the lack of gravity and air pressure there's there's both and we don't think about the air pressure above us because we don't feel it in the same way but it's because that's this is just always the environment we're in so it just feels natural to us but if you were if you were born on a spaceship and then you landed on earth you wouldn't be able to walk you would be like your body just would not be capable of keeping yourself upright because of the pressure and you would you'd be longer you'd be taller
1: right and that's why astronauts have to constantly physically exercise right because yeah. otherwise their muscles are going to atrophy yeah
0: and even when they come back to earth they're um, different they did a study where we, with uh, two twins and the one of the twins stayed on earth and one, the other twin was an astronaut and when he came back the the astronaut t- twin was taller but w- but significantly reduced in, in body muscle mass even though he exercised on the space station but it was up in the space on the international space station for like a year or something um, and even in that much time there was noticeable differences between the two
1: that's just crazy to me that uh Environments can alter our bio, you know, chemistry and and, and biology just to such an extent. Um, There is one exception for the volus. However, when when I say that, you know, everything that's, you know, evolved from their planet can't survive other places, there's one exception. And those are the Kympna lobes, silver carnivorous plants that can thrive in any environment, even non ammonia based environments. Then now that's pretty intimidating to me when Mm -hmm. I hear there's silver carnivorous plants from a rune that can survive anywhere. Um, that's just me
0: yeah no but that sounds that sounds like an invasive species if, you're if you're you've ever some, uh,
1: heard background one noises.
0: yeah yeah i've got thunder going on in the background and we've got that crazy weird uh large amount of lag again going between us so i apologize if anybody uh is like oh the sound of the podcast is a little weird sometimes it is there's no, not a whole lot we can do about that about the, the gap in in conversation um it's kind of like tardigrades also the species that grew up in one place but can survive in other places water bears yeah the little water bear guys like you can put them in space and then bring them back and they'll stay alive it's ridiculous they're they're nuts
1: you, the water bears for that reason are one of my favorite animals um, i guess if you could call them that yeah they're um, animals they're yeah, one they're... of my favorite beings yeah they're
0: tiny but they're animals
1: and uh sure. because so I'm going to read a little bit from the wiki that kind of explains and, and really drives this point home about the suits and their importance. Um, the, the wiki says... Because of the Volus' outlier biology in relation to most other Citadel races, setting up compatible and appropriately sealed environments in other races' residential areas is illegal on most planets and prohibitively expensive where permitted. The chances of explosive blowout, environmental contamination, and other related problems have been deemed or have deemed the notion too risky. That's because we can't breathe ammonia. And we can't, we can't uh, survive in an, in an environment that would foster um, the volus. So right. it was done for the greater good, you could say. Um, moving on to their heads, now that you get this idea that they're bowling balls encased in an even weirder environmental suit... Uh, they barely, the heads barely extend from their body. I kind of already mentioned it, that it's like a little, like thing of a snowman, like a ball on top of a ball, uh-huh. except they have this mustache type of thing. And I wonder if that's actually like a feature of their physiology or if it's just a part of their suit for like, for decorative purposes. Um, and, and the suits make their eyes look like little dots of light. So it's not like you get to see what their eyes look like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So do we have any official information on what they actually look like out of the suit? Or is it all just like fan drawings and things? Speculation.
1: Unfortunately, you're right. Most of it is speculation and not much is known. But here are the certain details that we do know. We know that they have a biology at least somewhat similar to Solarians because they have cloacae. Or is that how you pronounce it, Cloake? cloaca? Uh, a cloaca. Yeah. And their saliva is a bluish tone. Yes. Uh, and th- their saliva is a bluish tone. And apparently they can. Apparently, it, uh, it felt the lore somewhere in the lore felt it necessary to clarify that volus can indeed spit their bluish copper-toned <laughs> saliva. Uh, so that kind of made me wonder if <laughs> if they do that when they're threatened. I have no idea. Um, that much is conjecture just from me. Um, but what we don't know, what we don't know is basically everything else. We don't know what their skin looks like. We don't know if they have hair. I mean, what if they're furry, right? Yeah. We don't know what their eyes look like. Oh, dude, we they not be so know cute. if they have gender. They could be like, we, like... Get this. Cute.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry, go on. So get this. I'm, I'm really like baffled at this part. Humans just assume that there are male and female volus based on what they sound like. There's no actual evidence to suggest that they're dual gendered or even if they have genders at all. And when you ask them, the volus deflect. They think the question is just like super rude and laughable. <laughs> and it's their deflections are to the extent that the Solarian STG, the special tasks group, has a project monitoring all of the misinformation and jokes made by the Volus to throw off other species about the topic of their gender.
0: I wonder, it sounds like there's something else going on. here. Like, okay, so from out of, out of world, like meta, this seems like the kind of joke you would put in as a developer to be like, let's just make it mysterious and have them deflect all the time. But in world, the fact that it's universal, that it's not the kind of thing that you come across one who's like, oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a male or I'm a female, you know, like you don't ever come across that, means that maybe there's a reason why they're keeping that thing a secret. You know, like, uh, we are, we're already talking about other races where there are very distinct differences in number of males to females because of things that happen, like Krogan, for example, um, and that's a very touchy subject, so you don't really wanna talk about it too much. Uh, Maybe for them, there's something that happened in their past that makes that very, very touchy for them. Or, Or maybe they just don't understand the question. I don't know.
1: Maybe they adopt some somewhat of a Hanar type of uh, politeness etiquette where it's like, that's incredibly rude to even bring up or ask, so don't ask me about it. But I, I'm really hard pressed to believe that the Volus would be asexual because there's, if I can remember right, there's a Volus customer or client or patron, however you want to say it, at the consort's office in the Citadel in mass effect one mm-hmm. and i think we all know what kind of favors and services the consort offers uh, to some of her clients there's really only a few reasons why uh, a a patron or a client might be there for the consort services right. we also have seen volus in several of the more social atmospheres like uh places where at least humans would go to find a mate Like bars and clubs and things like that. But that doesn't mean that they're not maybe like. Nothing really suggests to me that the bolas are asexual.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not like the Asari or something in that they're very unique in their sexuality. Like maybe they're monosex, but very unique. Or maybe there's more than one. (laughs) You know, maybe they're multiple genders. Maybe there's three genders or something, something crazy like that. Like, I mean, anything could happen. It's. It's Mass Effect.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they could indeed be, you know, a hermaphroditic species. Who knows? Um, However, there is one person who knows what the Volus looks like, or what the Volus look like, rather, and that is the author of Mass Effect Annihilation. She knows what they look like. From a Reddit Ask Me Anything comment, she said, quote, there were only a couple of things I didn't get to use. For example, I have a huge email thread about what the Volus looked like, and I thought that we had it all sorted out, and then it was decided to keep that revelation back in case Bioware wanted to do it in-game later on. So, there it is. They do have a decision as to what the Volus looked like. They just haven't depicted it yet. They're waiting. They're keeping those cards close to the vest. Mm. So, Mm. prediction, Mass Effect 4, we're going to find out.
0: Yeah, so... This fan art, the the fan art I showed of uh, Danny DeVito, the Volus, uh, is just fan art. And it it looks like a mole rat with a mustache. Like a naked mole rat with a mustache wearing robes and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a fair way to put it.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I would call it. But what would you hope they look like?
1: Honestly, I think Danny DeVito as a mole rat kind of tops my hopes and dreams. (laughs) It doesn't
0: get any better than that. I hope that they're like Ewoks, like they're little fuzzy mustache bears.
1: (laughs) The the furry, the furriness would add a personal uh, effect to them and it would make it even better that they were like the bankers of the galaxy. Yeah, They're these little teddy bears and they're, they're, they're the bankers. Yeah. I want them to be like little, little teddy bears, Um, little gummy bears. that's, That's pretty much. That's pretty much how we can speculate, you know, um, the, the photos of art at this point. And so, at this point, let's let's kind of go through it. We know the Volus survive a disease in early childhood. We know the Volus need suits to survive pretty much everywhere besides a rune. And we know that they aren't athletic or cut out for war really at all. So, how has the Volus's lack of physical strength affected their cultural development? Well, we're going to be covering that after the break, so stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned for that. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Well, let's move on to the middle of the show because we've got all sorts of fun stuff to talk about, and we'll be right back.
1: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that.
0: So, welcome to the middle of the of the show we normally do our reviews here but we have a ton of them so we're going to hold them till the end and we'll go over those and thank you to everybody who's been dropping off reviews um, we really do appreciate your feedback and even the ones that aren't glowing most of you guys dropping glowing reviews thank you very very much some of you have some criticism and, and things and and we get it and and some of it is about like I don't know somebody doesn't like my jokes or somebody <laughs> thinks that N7 is, is a volus or uh, somebody thinks that um, they really just don't want any of my commentary and they only want the lore stuff and and i understand you know like this podcast may not be for everybody so i get it but there are a lot of you who do enjoy those aspects of the show so thank you for chiming in and letting us know and some of it just has to do with messaging and maybe i just need to be more clear about what each of our roles are and one of our friends on discord mentioned that it's kind of like watching sports commentary where you have the Uh, the expert and then the color commentator and the color commentator adds things, but also asks questions that the expert may not even realize would be a question that somebody in the audience would want to know the answer to because they're so close to the topic. So that's kind of the, the concept we have going here. So, so thank you to everybody who, who sends in the reviews. We'll get to those at the end of the show. And we also wanted to let you know that we are now an Xbox and Microsoft affiliate, which is freaking amazing. Um, As I mentioned before, Sam and I started the Xbox Game Pass show, which is available everywhere now. You should go look it up if you're listening to this on a podcast podcatcher. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel or on Twitch, you can get it on all of the same places and go check that out the we, we not only talk about the games on game pass but so many of those games are also just good games in general so even if you aren't somebody with an xbox or don't use game pass on pc or whatever there might be some conversations there about games that you might be interested in so go check it out let us know what you think about the show and as an xbox affiliate that means that if you don't have xbox game pass and you either have a pc an xbox or even a phone you can right now get For $1, three months of Game Pass Ultimate, which is freaking amazing. There's a link below the player, there's a link in the show notes, and if you just wanna use the link right now, you can type in bit.ly slash RR for Robots Radio, game pass and that'll get you exactly where you need to go in order to cash in on that deal and every time you guys use our links to get anything from Microsoft at all we potentially will get a little bit of a kickback for that for no extra cost for you guys so this is the only time I'm gonna bring it up for our patrons I just wanted to make sure you guys were aware uh, any commercials about this will not be included for our patrons so uh, you know after this I just wanted to make sure everybody was aware of this because it's a really really good freaking deal Um, I signed up for this already I'm gonna have Game Pass all summer long and there's all sorts of awesome games coming out very, very soon during the summer. So it's totally worth it. Also, if you if you don't have all the Mass Effect games, you can get them on there. It's not the Legendary Edition, but you can play the originals. They're all right there. So go check that out. Also, thank you to our patrons. You guys are phenomenal. The, the response... What do you think, Sam? The response for this has been just, like, amazing. I did not realize when we started our Patreon that we would get such a powerful response.
1: I didn't. Uh, I certainly didn't expect it either, and it's been fast. It's been um, overwhelming in terms of my uh, expectations, and I've been, you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I've been humbled. Um, and just the other day, you know, I was uh, talking to my girlfriend, and I, I had opened up the Discord, and you know, this goes for more than just the people who who donate money to our Patreon. But I had opened up the Discord and looked at the Mass Effect Lorecast channel, and I kind of felt a sense of pride almost (laughs) uh, because i i kind of thought look at the community you know that we have fostered uh and i was just so proud of like everyone in the community and everyone's kind of conversing and being supportive of each other and and listening to differing viewpoints of the games so
0: oh yeah everybody's awesome too like this is not something that like this isn't us like we do a show we put the work into record we put the work into you know research and and get this stuff to you guys but the community being awesome that's on you guys like that is phenomenal um absolutely awesome awesome stuff and who knows with potentially multiplayer coming back to fallout 3 in the legendary edition it might be a great place to you know hook up with a bunch of other well maybe not hook up because that sounds a little dirty but uh connect with <laughs> some other People who are into Mass Effect in order to play online with. But uh, come join us. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being part of this. And thank you to our 19, 19 already. This has been up just for a few weeks. 19. Of our patrons, including Sovereign, who is our tier five patron, so he gets called out every week. And you know what? I'm just gonna go through and just thank everybody. Sovereign Alexander, Cyclops 88, Justin D, Kather Knoxblood, Sothana Toasted, Jessica XD, uh, Andre M, Ben E. Alina R, Jessica R, MK ten gamer, Caleb, John W, Justin W, Lupus Malum, Marcel H, N seven Stormtrooper, and Remington C. Thank you to all of you guys. You are phenomenal. Thank you. This this makes us feel like you know we're doing we're doing something you guys like, and we need to keep doing it. So we really do appreciate it. And if you haven't signed up already, you can check out all the different tiers. There is a bunch of different things you can get. Even for one dollar, you can sign up and get ad free episodes a day early and then there's other tiers that allow you to join us on future episodes and there, we're gonna have one two three four five six people who are tier four or higher joining us for the end of the month which is on the 27th the last sunday of the month
1: 27th be a full house
0: yeah 10 30 p.m to talk about mass effect and there's already been some concepts being tossed around on the discord that's where we meet up is on the discord and um yeah if you want to sign up there's plenty of time to do that you can chime in with some thoughts on what you want to discuss this this month the end of the month and we look forward to chatting with all of you guys because this is going to be awesome so thank you so much all right let's move on with the rest of the show
1: looking for an rpg podcast that isn't just DD? roll to cast is the answer no, no wait sorry what games have we played so far
0: well we've done cyberpunk 2020
1: what does it mean to have a voice.
0: And there's going to be something big coming, Chumba.
1: Hey, If you're listening, I won. I beat you. You suck. There was a time when we were slamming things against our phones. and <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Chloe? Sam? You can't use those words! He's going to grab Vincent, press him against the wall. I mesmerise him. This is Adelaide's Anarch Movement. First out of your chair, your hand goes to your gun and you draw. Culp Cthulhu. I told you I had it. Yes. Oh, we've all got the going. I love it all so right, much. Right, there. Screechy child. Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. A new game every season. Original music. Original stories. <laughs> Interviews with the creators. And delightful Aussie accents. Listen to us on all good You Even support us on Patreon for bonus content. That's Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. Come discover a new world. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously,
0: I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Oh, you know what? I forgot to talk about our... Our shepherd, our show is your shepherd.
1: Who do we have this week? Yeah, we need to, uh, we need to highlight. And in fact, it is our only shepherd level tier five patron, Commander Sovereign Shepherd. Uh, this is Mr. Shepherd. Mr. is the first name, Mr. I believe. Mr. So this is Wait. Mr. Shepherd, Mr. Shepherd. Mr. Mr. Shepherd or Mr. Shepherd? Mr. Shepherd. Mr. Shepherd. <laughs> 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 Mr. 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 Shepard.
0: Commander, is a Mr. soldier she- Wait, Commander, and, Mr. Uh, with
1: the background that is Earthborn.
0: <laughs> Sorry, go on. Mr. Commander, delay, Mr. This delay Shepard. Mr. Lake kills us. Yeah,
1: go, uh, keep, keep going.
0: <laughs> One, Mr. <laughs> he says in chat. <laughs> Commander, Mr. Shepard. Got it.
1: So, Commander, Mr. Shepard is a soldier, uh, Earthborn uh commander mr shepherd is a war hero and commander mr shepherd's a al- lot sorry i really like saying it so i'm just gonna keep saying it <laughs> mr uh, mr was his father renegade but makes to <laughs> <laughs> call me mr 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 was my father yeah <laughs> um renegade but makes kindish decisions and of those decisions commander mr shepherd has kept rex alive and saved Caden on Vermeier. Sorry, Ashley. Uh, Commander Mr. Shepard romanced Liara in Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Oh. Now, isn't that heartwarming? Stayed uh, faithful to one person through all three games. Yeah. Um, you know. Now, Sovereign tells us that, <laughs> that Commander Mr. Shepard tried to romance Leviathan, but <laughs> that it was too needy in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Commander Mr. Shepard saved and released the Rachni Queen, saved the council, and chose Anderson for uh, Humanity's uh, council seat, destroyed the collector base, cured the genophage with help from Malin's data, Destroyed, uh, chose the destroy ending with enough readiness for the uh, Shepard lives post credit scene, which I don't think is a spoiler at this point. I think everyone pretty much knows that that's a possibility, depending on your choices. Um and for some color, uh, for some so for some feature uh, words about Mister Shepard. On his downtime, he likes to prank call the council, give reporters knockout interviews, and email Udina pictures of his face on an Elcor.
0: Nice, nice, very cool. Well, thank you for submitting, Commander Mister Shepard. And he looks like a total badass. I have the picture up on the screen. If anybody wants to see it, you're welcome to come check it out and sovereign you can share oh you, you already shared this in the discord right so that's where i got it so yeah you can go check that out bathroom selfie
1: <laughs> and for our listeners yeah for our listeners it, it is a bathroom selfie so that's the that's the best part i love photo mode
0: yeah awesome well thank you for sharing that with us all right let's get back to the volus so how did the volus stature the, the volus's stature i guess it would be plural um how that affect their culture and like societal development? How, do, how does that work?
1: So the volus aren't prone toward violence. I think we covered that much already. And some species pick this up as them being overly pacifistic, if not cowardly, um, but they're not strong anyway. So they gotta be at least a little bit realistic that leads me to my next point that their homeworld arun has completely done away with the practice of warfare its cities are built on fast trade routes and not militarily defensible positions like many uh like many human cities are say on top of a hill a lot of cities were built on top of hills because they were highly defensible positions from invasions yeah Uh, that's not the case with arun right oh there we go we got some background sound effects Anakin, I have the high ground
0: a train. Yeah, a train. Um, but yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Most, most, uh, ancient cities were built in places that were defensible.
1: And they, they were, um, but not, not a rune. They don't have a history that's similar in that way at all. In fact, around the, uh, year 300 of the current era, the Vola start exploring the stars and they had just discovered FTL flight um, and they quickly realized that their lack of defenses on Arun and their lack of combat prowess that's just kind of innate to their species, this all meant that they were vulnerable to invasions from other species. In other words, one organized force could blitzkrieg through their regions very very quickly and in fact that happens in mass effect 3 when the reapers send in husks they just completely wipe out uh huge swaths of Irune, uh such that the turians uh and the krogan's land on the on the planet to help them repel and liberate the planet
0: yeah that totally makes sense Uh, a species that hasn't had to deal with that before would have no no defense against anything especially something at that scale. I mean, even the other more militaristic races had a hard time repelling that, you know, I can't imagine what these poor little guys had to do. Or, you know, they probably just ran and hid like a bunch of little bears.
1: You you know, one would think um, that given the fact that they don't have a heavily militarized society and not a lot of their society is based around self-defense at all, I think you could probably infer from that, that they don't have many natural predators on Erun either. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they evolved to success, to such levels of success because they were the apex predator, it's that they just don't have much competition whatsoever. Um, But this also, you know, it it, uh, raises the question, if the Volus don't defend themselves, how do they survive? And this is why and how the Volus came to rely on the Turians for protection, which we mentioned in last week's episode. The Volus are a client race of the Turians. Well, shortly after the council made contact with the Volus around the uh, year 300 of the current era, the Volus enter an agreement with the Turians. The agreement states, we want, here's gold for iron. We, we were giving you all of our merchant services, all of our trading services, and we will basically run your economy, which it doesn't seem like you are too terribly interested in doing. And in exchange, you will defend us, something that we are incapable of doing. So we mentioned mm-hmm. in the Turian episode that the Turians aren't interested in being merchants. In fact, they kind of look down upon them. Um this is a symbiotic relationship basically. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, this is something that fits both of them to a T. So it it's a no-brainer that this would have worked out the way it did. Also, I have to make the uh the wood for sheep catan joke here. Anyone got wood for sheep? Do you ever play Settlers I of Catan? Just
1: started playing that. Yeah. I just started playing that like like a year ago or two years ago, uh-huh. and it quickly became addictive. Um, oh, I'm yeah. glad that I don't own the game because if I did, I I would probably be bugging all my friends like, "Hey, we got to play guitar." Yeah, hey, we got to play guitar. Yeah, at
0: some point in in your playing, somebody's going to say, "Hey, you have wood for sheep," and then everyone looks at each other and snickers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That that joke is never going to get old. Um, but <laughs> the the volus um, <laughs> the volus uh, everything in their society is based on trade. Uh, that much should become apparent. You know, by by this point in the episode, <laughs> mm-hmm. they they become the best traders, merchants, and bankers in the whole galaxy. No one can match their prowess when it comes to the, to money. You know. So money makes the galaxy go round, right? Um, their economy is massive. And they basically hold the purse strings of the galactic economy as a whole. Because once they're introduced to the Turians, they meet the entire you know, Citadel Council. And they're now on a galactic playing field. So the council quickly realizes their prowess. Uh, because their economy was so developed, the council then defers to their expertise... In creating something called the Unified Banking Act. The Unified Banking Act, this is like really, really meta and I love it. And uh, we're really getting into some of the deep parts of the lore here. The Unified Banking Act was draft, was, it was legislation that was drafted by the Volus and then put forward in front of the Citadel Council, which created a. Um, think of all of the races of mass effect entering into an eu type of agreement where mm-hmm. every country now uses a standard currency called the credit while the volus are basically the creators of the credit and they serve as galactic econ- economic uh, regulators
0: yeah yeah this is um oh i, I had a, a thought on this but it, it fell out of my brain i'm sorry um but no it's, it seems like oh i remember um in order to survive in any situation, you have to excel at something in order to thrive. You have to excel at something. And if they can't defend themselves, then then they can work their way in. It's just kind of like being the smart kid who tells the bully he'll do his homework, but he's got to pay him for it. You know, like, and the bully gets the benefit of like the smart kid does his homework, but the smart kids the one actually getting the good end of the stick here because he gets in with the bully. The bully will probably Protect him, you know, because he doesn't want anything to happen to, the, to this market who does his homework. But then he also gets paid, you know, like like that kid, like the, the Volus are that kid, and and like you said, um, they kind of sound like that kid too. So absolutely,
1: yeah, they sound meek and mild, um, certainly. And I'd like to read a little part from the wiki, uh, in regards to the Unified Banking Act. The This is the quote from the wiki. The act also laid out regulatory guidelines for determining the value and exchange rate of the credit in relation to the currencies of the individual Citadel member races. So what this means is a human with maybe a U.S. dollar could purchase something with credits at, quote, fair market value. There wouldn't need to be a total, you know, middleman of exchange rates and, and stuff like that, where basically you're losing money before you even purchase the thing
0: interesting that's uh, that's got to be a complex balance i mean really what we're seeing here is that they're highly intelligent even if they weren't particularly able to defend themselves
1: yeah i'm thinking something along the lines of the iron bank in game mm. of thrones so mm-hmm. that's the volus right so they are the ones who are funding all of these expeditions and things like that because uh, like the, lar- the galaxy's largest banks and the galaxy's largest manufacturing conglomerates are all housed on Irune, And so, there's such a centralization of wealth, I wonder if there's some resentment within the Mass Effect universe against the Volus, especially from the lower classes, right? We've seen types of resentment like that in human history, I can't imagine why there wouldn't be in Mass Effect Uh, Yeah. History. Yeah. And, you know, even there's how how, there is some resentment, though, among the Volus themselves, because even though they were the third sentient race to make contact with and establish an embassy on the Citadel more than 2000 years ago, um, the council still hasn't invited them to join their ranks. And the Volus have a chip on their shoulder about it, really, especially with humanity's fast rise. Um, and excuse me, I think I, just a second ago, uh, I had basically said, I, I had unintentionally suggested that the the Volus had gotten into the good graces of the Citadel through becoming in a, in a protectorate agreement with the Torians. It's not entirely true. The Unifed Banking Act, I believe, came first, uh, but the, the timeline is a little bit uh, mushy. There's a brief timeline w- that we'll go over in a different episode, but They became in good graces uh, with the Unified Banking Act and shortly thereafter met the Turians. Uh, Well, the Volus still have a chip on their shoulder that the the Turians, well, the Turians got a seat on the council, right? And now all of a sudden by Mass Effect 1, the year 2183, now the humans who have just arrived 26 years ago and they're already pushing for a seat on the council. They were just granted an embassy immediately, right? And so... All of a sudden, you know, the 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 fathers of galactic banking and the fathers of the galactic economy, right, um, are getting left out of this conversation politically. And it just doesn't seem right, in their opinion, that they have to share an embassy with the Elcor. Um, there's some heavy resentment there among the Volus that they're getting the short end of the stick. And from the outside in, you know, can you fault them?
0: Yeah, that's... I would, I would feel like that too. You know, like they have such an important role in maintaining the commerce of the galaxy. Like if they were to pull out from that, the commerce across the galaxy could collapse. And yet they aren't on the on the council. Like shouldn't the people who are basically writing the way that the banking and the commerce works have a say in the way that decisions are made. Even when it comes to, you know, uh, all sorts of things like what what race attacks another race or how to settle difficulties between things. You, You think that they would have some sort of say. The other side of this, though, would be, you know, you look at our own U.S. system and the banks have too strong of a hold on on policy and politics. And so maybe there's fear about that as well. Maybe if they are kept back off the council, they can't, you know, potentially leverage that for even more of their own personal gain.
1: there could be fear about this uh however i think it does more to explain the priorities of the council and what kind of uh languages they respect and i use the word languages loosely it it, it just it it appears very clear that the council respects military more than they respect soft power right um because they invited the turians immediately after helping with the krogan rebellions uh, so I, I don't know if I were a volus, I would be upset. Um, but that, that's kind of a, that's an aggression. Uh, the volus have historically bartered over land rights. Uh, but it's not like, you know, everything was consensual. I say that lightly because there's evidence, not specific evidence, but there's evidence in lore that says that the volus have also traded people, other volus. on Mm. on occasion. And this goes back to kind of their tribal origins, I think. Um, The Volus have... They were originally set up in tribes. That's the, the structure of their society. And this even impacted their language. Their language was such that they referred to everyone by two names, right? The Volus have two names, but they don't have any family names they've they refer to someone as the clan that they're from but it's not a family name because they view they view putting a family name on someone as claiming ownership of a person which they believe is inappropriate oh. so rather they refer to aliens whom they don't know their names they refer to them as you know the formula is homeworld plus clan so earth clan or quarians <laughs> migrant clan uh-huh. it's interesting um, but it's it's also hypocritical, you know, because they they traded people. So <laughs> I'm not really sure I follow, but that's yeah. the way that it is.
0: Well, what culture isn't hypocritical in some way?
1: Man, true that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you couple you you couple this with the Volus's specific needs as a species, i.e., their rare biosphere that they evolved from on Arun the fact that they need very specific, you know, pressurized environments and what they need a specific ammonia ecology and you understand why the volus have been slightly slow to colonize. They've been slower than other species anyway, much slower than humanity after gaining FTL uh flight capability. So this also results in the the fact that most volus don't ever leave their homeworld. Because, you know, it's just much easier staying on your homeworld than strapping up into this very complicated and viral suit and then having to remain in that viral suit in 24 seven, like they can't take it off because they'll die. If they do Right. like immediately, right. they'll yeah. die from the pressurization. That sounds extremely um, so dangerous. They're living in a submarine.
0: Yeah. And, and you also mentioned that they sound kind of like hobbits and there's, there's also that side of it of like, they're this little race and they're weak and there's not only the dangers of the environment there's the dangers of these other larger races like it's a big scary world out there so why leave home isn't it just more comfortable here
1: (laughs) yeah why leave home we can all work remote right we're all bankers (laughs) so let's just work remote there you go so the unified banking act had to have been amazing for the volus economy um It's just not even in proportion to the size of their world and to the size of their their populace. Um, And I touched briefly on their governmental structure earlier when I was talking about the tribes. However, their government is is named the Vol Protectorate. And it's not fully sovereign. It's not a fully sovereign state anyway. It's a client state of Turians. We already briefly discussed this, uh, but a little quote from the wiki describes it pretty well. It says, the Volus will support the Turians in any war they might pursue, and the Turians will do the same for the Volus. So, the Volus pay a tax, and the Turian hierarchy provides protection. This doesn't necessarily mean, though, that every Volus person is an equal citizen, especially not in the Turian's eyes, because there is a hierarchy, after all, to citizenship. Um the whole dynamic is kind of, it kind of reminds me of the way that Korea interacted with China in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Mm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I don't have much else to add to that. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, for those, you know, for those, um, who are unaware, uh, Korea and, and other nations, certainly uh, several other nations, paid tribute to the larger nations like China uh, for protection throughout human history. This was something of a, you know, forced agreement in some some instances, and in others, it was totally voluntary. Uh, but as for the Volus, they defer to the hierarchy in all foreign policy matters. So they don't get a seat at the political table at all. They don't get to d- debate whether or not they're going to war. That's up to the Torians. If the Torians want to wage war against someone, then the, the, the Volus are getting roped into that as well. This kind of made me think, well, does this mean that the Volus were in some ways responsible for the actions taken against humanity or the war plans that were formulated against humanity during the first contact war? And if so, might that explain why they still have lingering resentment?
0: Maybe uh, I, you know, you have to wonder if they had a seat at the table of, on the planning committee. Um, but the they most definitely were probably were filled in on the concept of what was going on and what the humans had done to deserve retaliation. So the version of the story they heard would have been the Turian's version of the story. So that alone would be enough to sour their opinion of humans
1: oh definitely definitely and they they would have so they would have you know to back up a little bit if you haven't yet listened to the first contact war episode definitely go listen to it a but b they would have thought okay here's a race that we have just now heard about we didn't even know that they existed and they just recently achieved ftl flight and they've been opening up mass mass relays left and right and looks like they're trying to go into a part of space that was previously quartered off because of the rachni uh and now they're trying to uh you know seemingly you know, bring them back or at the you know best, just acting completely recklessly. Fast forward 20 years and they're talking about a seat on the council. Right. And right. here we are and w- we've designed the galactic economy.
0: Right. Yeah. These these idiots are just wandering around, bumping into everything, causing all sorts of problems. Why would we want them to be on the on the council? Like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, it would take generations for them to feel like, OK, these humans deserve a place
1: exactly but it's not like the volus are in any position to wage war against humanity because again they are a client race um it that doesn't mean that they don't have any wartime capabilities though they do have some in fact in combat the volus generally lead to lean toward air superiority and air power sounds a lot like world uh the united states in world war ii and ever after World War Two, the United States has made a uh, concerted effort to maintain air superiority. But I digress. The Volus have several heavy bomber flotillas at the ready. However, those are at Turian command. So they have the heavy bomber flotillas because they prefer dis—they prefer long-range engagements and orbital strikes over close combat, you know, knife to the throat type of Krogan <laughs> combat, um, yeah. and they only have one dread, one dreadnought. Yeah, they only have one dreadnought, just one. And that creation of that dreadnought was formed by their most, by the Volus, uh, the Volus' most famous corporation, the Elcos Combine. And it's named the Quunu. But it was, and even, even though there's just one, and even though the Volus Navy isn't, you know, like the most uh, prolific or well-armed force, this one dreadnought was well-armed. According to the lore, a Turian general touring the Qunu after its maiden system voyage enthusiastically declared that the ship could quote-unquote char a planet three times over. So that's pretty impressive firepower for a Volus uh, ship, at least in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense that they would have some form of defense but you know you have to wonder how often these things actually see combat
1: right that's one of the things so they don't really see combat all that often and maybe just maybe the uh the Volus had helped out in suppressing the Krogan rebellions. I'm going to have to look into that. I'm going to have to see if I can dig up some more details there because I didn't find any prior to the show, but I will be looking into that. Um, however, there are rare Volus who do serve in ground forces in infantry auxiliary units. Uh, and, of course, they use specialized combat suits uh, where they are a little bit more hardy in terms of they can take a bullet and not rupture and then the entire bowling ball explodes. <laughs> You're right. Um, and some are even impressive <laughs> biotics. In fact, the, the, uh, the, the audio clip we listened to earlier, that was a character named Niftu Kal. Who is utterly convinced that he is a biotic god? But after learning <laughs> that there are some skilled biotics in the Volus, uh, in the Volus race, and that they have played frontline, uh, they have played you know key roles in frontline auxiliary units, I kind of wondered, okay, what if Cal actually is a veteran? It's yeah. possible. Yeah, it's completely possible, and maybe his his drug induced state kind of sent him back into a PTSD like episode. I'm not sure
0: that that totally makes sense. Like why for a race that's so non combative, like non aggressive to have one that acts that way, it it would make sense. Like he must among his peers feel like a total badass.
1: It's easy to feel like a badass if you're if you're like you know one of the very few volus who have a ventured outside of Arun and B you can wield biotics and C you were in the military. Oh yeah, so that yeah. does kind of make you the badass when it comes to volus. Right, you're
0: you're the elite of the elite when it comes to that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, meanwhile Shepard's like, uh, can I help you? <laughs> you know, Like, <laughs> uh, why don't you buzz off? <laughs> yeah right um, so I, but, I had know, this so image
0: was- in my head real quick I had this image in my head of um, what if you were to what if you are a volus and you got shot and your suit got punctured and the rest of the suit maintained its integrity would you squish out of the hole <laughs> would you like, <laughs> like <laughs> it would depressurize but then it would like the rest of you, the pressure of your body would just like go into the part where it's oh my god that <laughs> would be so gross.
1: <laughs> so I was actually imagining a deflating balloon uh-huh. when uh-huh. you said that. <laughs> but it would be like... like you know, just buzzing be, around. Right, but know, wouldn't, it wouldn't be
0: spitting out like like gas. It would be spitting out like body <laughs> because your body would expand through the hole. Ugh, like body fat. And, oh this, my God.
1: <laughs> I'm imagining... Now I'm imagining that all of the volus look like zoidberg when he sheds his shell
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're
1: just you know like fle- flesh flesh colored mucus <laughs> right and the must they've got the mustache so i think we got uh, that going maybe them. zoidberg is like a good <laughs> maybe zoidberg is like a really good uh sci-fi comparison you know they go why um, not volus I, you know i mentioned earlier that the volus <laughs> why not volus <laughs> why not <laughs> volus.
0: Yes, why not? Why not? Volus? <laughs> it
1: needs to be a t shirt. I'm, uh, you know, I think we can do that. That seems like it's easy enough. And then we just take the design of Nifto Cal with some biotic, you know, aura around him. Um, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that the Volus were the third species to join the ranks of the citadel, not the council, but the citadel. Uh, And they were the third to establish an embassy there after the Asari and Salarians. Uh, But there was a species that made contact with the council and the citadel very shortly after the Volus. This species also resents humanity, but They were given even less of a seat at the political decision-making table than the Volus were. They were never conferred as to how to draft any legislation. In fact, they were relegated to the uh, status of outcast. So if you've guessed where we're going with this, that's right. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Batarians.
0: Ah, the most beautiful of all races.
1: Indeed, the four <laughs> eyes, uh, the, the, the four eyed, largely depicted as galactic terrorist race. We're gonna be talking about the Batarians.
0: Oh, very, very, v- I'm very excited about them and their beauty. Um. Well, awesome, this has been another fun episode. Uh, we've got all sorts of wacky stuff coming out of this one. If anybody, if anybody wants to do the drawing of the Volus, of, of Volus uh, that is either Danny DeVito or Zoidberg or somehow both of those things, that would be amazing and maybe we could use it on a t-shirt because that would be that would be awesome uh so yeah, send them our way post them on the discord um <laughs> well that'll do it for another episode except for our reviews so let's let's jump through those real quick as usual if you drop a rating or review on apple podcasts or itunes and it's five stars, then we will read it out on a future episode. And we've got a bunch of these, and I'll try to get through them fairly quickly. But I've got I've to thank you guys all for for doing this and get through all of them. So here we go. We've got the first one from Digigi, I think is how you pronounce the name, from the US, who writes, a Reignited my love for Mass Effect. Five stars. Are you a huge Mass Effect geek? Did you get sucked in as a teen? Did you get the legendary edition as an adult in hopes of reliving the greatness, only to realize the reality of being an adult with a job family and or pets with no (laughs) that no longer allow for the same completionist level time contribution well this lore cast can help play the game at your pace read an occasional codex but if you can't read them all these guys will remind you of the lore you've missed and forgotten the discussions are consistently well researched and on topic the community is great absolutely and the hosts are quite pleasant to listen to well thank you you uh thank you robots and n7 legend for helping me immerse myself in the lore during the legendary edition playthrough well thank you that's such a nice review thank you so much for that then we have uh the next one from bungalow 360 um in the us as well get your tinfoil hats out this podcast is so real you forgot it's sci-fi very cool five stars back in the day i was a big fan of mass effect or at least i thought I was until i heard robots and n7 talk about it wow there's so much i missed but it goes so much beyond talking about a great game. Every episode, they find a way to bring the elements of Mass Effect to the context of human history, biology, science, etc., to create some truly mind-blowing scientific theories and viewpoints. Well, thank you very much for appreciating that, because we, we try to bring in something more than just here's the lore. My inner nerd gobbles that kind of stuff up. The aliens need to hurry up and get here because I can't wait. Until then, this is the next best thing. So thank you, Bungalow. Then we have uh, Static uh via Apple Podcasts in the United States I thought via was part of the name but it's not Uh, fun and interesting dive back into the mass effect world five stars longtime fan of mass effect just barely started playing the legendary edition i've been doing a lot of driving for work lately and listening to podcasts so the other day i just searched mass effect podcasts and happened to click on yours first and i'm glad i did love the information on the lore and gameplay and the real world parallels the game has i'm looking forward to listening to all the episodes you've got out the hosts are interesting genuine and great to listen to thanks I highly recommend listening to it. Not to put my ideas where they aren't invited, haha, but I'd love to hear you guys do a podcast on indoctrination in the game and many of the prevalent theories around that. Uh, what do you think, Sam?
1: I think that's becoming a, a, a very quickly growing request of us. I've heard it numerous times now, both within the Discord and on Twitter. And I personally am a huge uh fan of the indoctrination theory that doesn't mean that i support it or think that it's canon i just think that it's very fascinating and i think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least dive into it for one episode
0: oh yeah i think we should discuss every every little bit of detail whether we agree with it or not because it's worth at least hearing about and discussing you know i think more information is better than less so absolutely All right, next on the list. Juan Susan from the U.S. again writes, great discussions. I have been a fan of Mass Effect since it came out and I have immensely enjoyed the discussions on this podcast. I particularly love the balance between the expert and the analyst hosts. See, she totally, she totally gets the balance. who, as someone who falls but somewhere in the middle, but been through all the codexes and such, but wouldn't call myself an expert, really appreciates the insight from both. I can't wait to listen to more. Well, Juan, Susan, thank you so much. And I, um, I assumed uh, female because of the name Susan. But if I got that incorrect, please uh, forgive me. Um, just kind of jumped on the name. All right. Then we have SPQR Center in the U.S. who writes, my favorite podcast on the Citadel. I love I love when people use that as the as the top line robots first came into my radar with his fallout lorecast and i love it but with the advent of the legendary edition i began to look for something to listen to get back up to speed within the mass effect universe while driving to and from work and even while at work and thank the goddess i found this podcast i've listened to every episode multiple times and look forward to a new episode every week if you pass up on this pod slash lorecast then you're a big stupid jellyfish Oh, that was uh, Vervada in uh, in chat. Well, thank you so much. That's awesome! Yay! Thank you, everybody who takes time, even just to leave a review. I'm just like, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Two left. We have Connor F. Two, also from the United States, who writes, great podcast. Keep up the parallels to real life topics. They add a much needed bridge to understand a world as lore rich and complex as Mass Effect. As an officer and student of military history, that's really cool. I find it especially fascinating seeing the different races embody a singular military doctrine that correlates to their respective cultures. Asymmetric warfare, shock and awe, etc as well as the allusions to common military practices for example wearing an n7 emblem would be similar to wearing a ranger or sf tab in the american military regardless keep up the work especially love the turian episode well thank you connor that's a really cool insight And then we have one left, King Thomas 56 in the US writes, learning so much, I'm almost done with my second playthrough and I don't know I missed, and I didn't know I missed so much lore. Sorry, that was my mistake. Very interesting and well-organized. Sweet and to the point. Thank you so much, King Thomas and everybody else for dropping these reviews. Everyone who tells a friend and just recommends us to somebody else who loves the Mass Effect games and especially those of you who just take the time either to, you know, do anything to help support the show, because we are only as successful as you guys are supportive. So thank you to all of you. Um, I look forward to chatting with more of you guys during the week. I hope I see you on our discord. I hope I see you in on our streams, Sam, you have anything cool coming up that you want to share?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm just going to be continuing my streams uh, for the games on Game Pass. I have been doing a lot of DayZ this past week. I will likely be talking about that tomorrow during our Xbox Game Pass show. And I'm looking to dive into... Oh, yeah. I uh, brought it up with you in in a private chat. I started playing Donut County. (laughs) Don't know if anyone else has played that yet, but it's a very short game. It's an indie game. You play as a raccoon and you open up holes all over town and you gobble everyone up because the goal is to absorb as much trash as possible. My girlfriend and I played that the other day, and it it just brings a smile to your face. It's really funny. Um, But I'll be talking about that tomorrow as well. Going to be diving into a lot more of those indie games, those indie Game Pass games anyway.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds super wacky. I I should probably try that out tomorrow. I'll probably be streaming during the day tomorrow, and uh, we'll be trying some of these other Game Pass games out. If not, um, it back into Mass Effect, we'll see. And uh, yeah, come join us on the Xbox Game Pass show. It's easy to remember, and we'll be here again tomorrow night. So come hang out with us for that as well. And also remember, we're Xbox affiliates. So if you sign up for the Game Pass in order to play Mass Effect or whatever else, or just, heck, join us in some games on multiplayer on Game Pass, because there's a lot of cool stuff that's coming out that have multiplayer. And uh, I'd love to... I can speak for my stream. I'd love to have you join me on some of those games in multiplayer. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, sam too. So, uh, twitch.tv slash Robots Radio for my stuff, twitch.tv slash n7 the legend for Sam's stuff. And until next time, stay safe out there. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, or possibly tomorrow. All right, everybody. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people check out all the shows at
1: robotsradio.net Following is a public service announcement from the Starter Set Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is your D&D campaign. This is the Starter Set podcast. You know how like poison frogs don't lick each other's backs. So it's How's Moving Castle mm-hmm. with a face. Mm. Hey there, I'm Great Mandibles. <laughs> Because one of the party speaks abyssal. You're all going to die. (laughs) And then adventure falls into your lap. Plop. This is your D&D campaign after listening to the Starter Set Podcast. Ah! So join Sam and Ed every Friday on the Starter Set Podcast for prime Dungeons & Dragons content. Any questions? Hey Guardians, we are the Destiny Show Podcast, a weekly podcast about
0: all things Destiny 2. We invite amazing guests from the Destiny community to share their stories and discuss the latest topics from the world of Destiny. Check us out on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7pm Eastern,
1: 4pm Pacific. We will see you, Starside.